Well, good morning, Second Service. So glad that you're here this morning. Got to witness a couple baptisms, and it's just been a good day to be in the Lord's house. And hey, just wanted to address something before we get into the message this morning. Uh, many of you may have noticed this last week, but you probably noticed it today, that we used to have the signs on the end of the pews that we were closing every other pew, and uh, we're not doing that anymore. So I just kind of want to explain to that. A couple people had sent um, a couple emails this week that I'd received just with some concerns about that. So the reason we did that is really your fault. I'll just, just be honest with you, okay? And then it's specifically second service's fault, okay? Um, but what we figured out is uh, when we were actually having you do every other row, we were like forcing people to sit closer together um, just because we were cramming you into half of the space. And if we open up all the pews, then you can actually stagger more to get more space between you. And so uh, we're just doing that to make everybody comfortable, but we figured that out that if we're not doing that, um, forcing you into a, a tighter quarter that you can actually sit further apart and space out more. So feel free to space out. That's that is the whole point of it. And hopefully you know the heart behind that. I mean, we do take the virus very seriously. And we want everybody to be safe. We want everybody to get through this, right? And we don't want to see anybody in the hospital or anybody, you know, not survive it. And so uh, we're doing the best job we can as God's church and just ask that you do the same. And so thanks for helping us out with that. Uh, we've been in a series for several weeks now, and today is part five on the Ten Commandments. And today is the day that... Everything kind of pivots, it kind of changes. Because we've been talking for four weeks about our relationship with God. And God gave us the first four commandments, and they deal specifically with how do I relate to the God of the universe? How do I relate to my Heavenly Father? And then today, with commandment number five and beyond, we're going to be starting to deal with commandments that deal with how we, we interact with other people. How do we deal with the world? How do, we, how do we deal with our neighbors? And this is in the heart of Mark chapter 12 when Jesus gave that response when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. And he said, and there's a second commandment that is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And as we talked about the first week was that if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you won't use his name in vain, and you'll keep the Sabbath day holy, and you'll have no other gods before him, you'll have no idols, and, and, and all of those things are just really summarized in those two. And then love your neighbor as yourself is the rest of the commandments, and we're going to begin today by talking about commandment number five. Does anyone know what commandment number five is? Someone said it over here, honor your father and mother. So let's look at that, Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, that's where we find the Ten Commandments. We're going to look at verse 12. Because you said it, and that's what we remember about this verse, right? Just honor your father and mother. That's it, right? No, there's actually, there's actually a little bit more to it. So Exodus chapter 20, beginning with verse 12. And just a reminder that if you're not using a Bible like me, you can interact with the app through your phone or through your tablet. And we want you to have something in your hands, take a notes, do something, engage the Word of God this morning. Because we find that it will stick with you longer if you do that. So Exodus chapter 20, beginning with verse 12, says this. Honor your father and your mother so that... Oh, it's got so that. So there, there's a cause and effect here. So that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Hmm. So if you honor your father and mother, then you can live longer. It's kind of what you, what you see there. There's this, maybe there's a supernatural blessing on longevity of life for those that, that honor their parents. Well, we're, we're going to get into this more and more and deeper and deeper as we go throughout the message this morning. But commandment number five simply says to honor your father and mother. 
to honor your father and your mother. There's a commentary that the Apostle Paul gives on this passage. He actually quotes it too. It's found in Ephesians chapter 6. And this will be on the screen for you this morning. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. I want to draw your attention to this. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Who decided that it's right to obey your parents? The Lord. It's his design. It's his idea. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And here he goes quoting it again. So that, and listen to what he says here. So that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. And so he even kind of expands the commandment a little bit here. He takes it from the context of just for the Israelites in Exodus 20, 12, where it says, you will enjoy a long life in the land that I am giving to you, which is talking about the promised land that they're about to enter. God's given them these rules for life, these rules for the road, these commandments before they enter the promised land. And here the Apostle Paul says that 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 it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. And look what he says there in verse 4. It says fathers. He gives a little instruction here. So it's been, you know, hey, children to the parents. And now now he's instructing the parents here. He says fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Don't frustrate your kids. And there's a lot of ways that you can do that as a father. I know because I am one. But it says to bring them up in the training And the structure, some versions say the admonition and nurture of the Lord. And so let's 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 go let's go back and let's just understand the concept of honor first this morning. Because a lot of people think if it says to honor your father and mother, what it means is to obey your father and mother, right? Obey your mom and dad. And 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 if it was gonna say that in Exodus 20, it would actually say that. It would just say, obey your father and mother. And it doesn't say that, it says to honor them. So we need to understand and get a working definition of what is honor because honor goes beyond just obedience. Obedience is a part of honor, but it goes far beyond that. And so we call this honor-based parenting, honor-based parenting. So this is for parents, grandparents this morning. This is also for children and teens and everyone else. So pay attention here. Honor-based parenting. Honor-based parenting is this, obeying the first time. You take out the trash and you tell them, second time, third time, no. Obeying the first time. Doing more than what's expected. Doing more than what's expected. Going that extra mile and doing it with a good attitude. Honor-based parenting. Obeying the first time. Doing more than what's expected and doing it with a good attitude. And if you do that, children, you honor your father and your mother. Okay, I'll give you an example of this. When you take out the trash, right? Mom says, take out the trash. Don't make mom say, can you take out the trash? Hey, did you remember to take out the trash? Hey, did you take out the trash? Hey, did you take out the trash? You know, four times. It's like, obey the first time. Do it, do it immediately. Have some urgency to it. And then it says, you know, don't, don't, don't just do that, but, but we're going to do more than what's expected. So you didn't just take out the trash. You actually did what? You went and got the trash bag out from the cabinet, and you lined it. Wow. Parents, they, they don't know what to do when this happens. They really don't. I mean, the response is incredible. In my home, it's incredible. It's like, she not only took out the trash, she lined the trash can. I mean, it's like an epic event. Very, very exciting for parents. And we feel really what? We feel really honored when you do that, right? So we obey the first time. We do more than what's expected. We do it with a good attitude, with a smile on your face and a, and, and a, and a bounce in your step. It's just like it's joyful. It brings joy to you to honor your parents, honor-based 
parenting. And this is what the Lord desires. And here's the, here's the truth this morning, too. Obedience has to do with action, right? That's the action part of the command. But honor has to do with the attitude and the heart. And as so many things in life, if you think that all these commandments are about, it's just about behavior modification. God just wants us to change our behavior. No. He wants your heart, and he wants your mind, and he wants your attitude to change toward relating with him. And so obedience does the action part, but the honor part has to do with our attitude and our heart. And this is established from the very beginning. This this first commandment that deals with people, notice that has to deal with specifically the household and the family. To honor your father and your mother so that you could have these benefits that he talks about. Because God cares about the family. The family is the building block for society and for nations and for all of God's plans in Scripture. And you can know that from the book of Genesis, right? Remember when he's creating, God created the heavens and the earth, he created the great light, he said it was good, and then he created night and darkness, and he separated the waters, and then he did the, and every time he's creating, you know, he did the, the plants, he did the animals, and every time he's like, it is good. And, you know, there's day and night the first day, and he said it was good, and, 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 then, and then we got the animals, and he said it was good, and then he created the plants, and it was, it was good. And, and he goes through all of the creation days, and he says, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And you're like, man, this is really good. You know, and, and then you get a little bit further in Genesis, and it says, for the first time in the Bible, it says it is not good. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Everything's been good. Everything's, everything's good for, for so long. And, and it, he says it is not good that Adam should be alone. It is not good that man should be alone. And God says, I have an idea. I'm going to make a suitable helpmate for him. That's literally what that, what that Hebrew word is, is helpmate. I'm going to make a suitable helpmate for them. And he creates woman. And, and woman, you know where that word comes from, Right? It, it, there's Ish and there's Isha in the Hebrew, but woman was, was Adam's response when he saw her. He was like, whoa, man. And that just kind of stuck. I know. Bad, bad jokes. Hey, it's Super Bowl Sunday, so, okay. Hey, um, but, but, but from the very beginning, there was family. And then what, what does God do right after that? He has the husband. He has the wife. He says, hey, I gave you organs to do something miraculous here, if you really think about it. I want you to reproduce, and I want you to replenish, and I want you to fill the earth with other humans that are made in my likeness. And so he says, gives them a command, be fruitful and multiply. You know, Adam was like, yes, all right. And he was like, yes. And so they go and they be fruitful. And this foundation of the family unit was the building block for everything else that was going to happen in God's plan. And so I think it's appropriate, the first commandment with how we deal with people, how we deal with relationships here in our world and on the earth, is we start in the home because God cares about the family. God, God wants the, the family unit to be the base unit of everything his plan is for the nation and for the world. And the fact is that a family can survive without a nation, but a nation cannot survive without the family. A family can survive without a nation, but the nation will not survive without the family. We see that evidence throughout Scripture. If you, if you think about that concept and you think about the Israelites and you think about different people groups and what's going on, if the family unit is strong and there's honor and reverence for those in authority in the home, then the nation is strong. Because it has this tendency to, to trickle outside of the home and into culture. Now, when we have respectful children in the, in the home that honor, we have respectful workers in the workplace that honor. We have respectful people that work in government that are respectful. And, and, and all of this it comes out of the home life. 
But if the family unit degrades to dishonor in the home, guess what? Everything else falls apart. And this should make sense to you. Especially for some of you that are here this morning that have more gray hair than I do. It really started back in the 1940s. The divorce rate in the 40s was nil. Very, very low. In the 50s, it happened a little bit more. And in the 60s, the 1960s, it happened a little bit more. And in the 1970s, a little more. And then, uh, you know, that's when my generation comes onto the scene in the 70s. And through the 80s and 90s, we see, we see it go even more to where everybody had a friend. I mean, I remember being young and thinking, I don't know anyone who's divorced or anybody that comes from a broken home. I mean, we're all in intact, two-parent homes, following God's design, following his plan. And then all of a sudden, it's like, whoa. Now I've got two friends that I know. They come from a broken home. And you see this family unit being attacked by Satan himself. And you see that that it seems like as the family goes and so the world goes, so the nation goes. And we even see this generationally passed down. The, the, of what my family looks like. And, and so many times the patterns that we repeat in our families are passed on from one generation to the next. And sometimes that's for good, and sometimes that's for bad. But it's interesting. It's interesting, too, that when the Bible in the New Testament talks about the last days, the days right before the coming of Christ, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, it says this, in the last days, men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, and disobedient to their parents. Sign of the end times. And what he's talking about is the explosion of disobedience and disruption and dishonor in the home. And it's a sign of the end times. I mean, you read that other stuff, it's like, oh, they'll be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. He's like, oh, yeah, we see that. And we see it on the increase, like this exponential curve right now, but we also see the disrespect in the home. And isn't it interesting that that's a sign of the end times, ushering in the last days of this world before Christ's sudden return, is that you'd see this uptick in children not honoring their father and their mother, not obeying their parents. Let's dive into this commandment this morning and, and understand what God has for us. What can we learn from commandment number five this morning? One of the first things I want to share with you is this. God cares about the family. He cares how the family interacts with itself and how that action is reflected to the world. He cares deeply about the family. It's his building block for society. It was his idea. It was his design. And this is why I believe Satan so desperately wants to affect the culture through the family. He has declared outright war on the family. And he's skewing, even to our minds today, what a family can look like. Because in the Bible, it is very clear. I mean, there's obvious things about commandment number five. It says to honor your father and your mother. It doesn't say to honor your father and your father. It doesn't say to honor your mother and your mother. It doesn't say to, to honor your father and his baby mama. It doesn't say to honor your mother and her living boyfriend. And yet, we have a tendency to do this, don't we? We take God's design and we bring our sinful mindset into it. And say, hey, God should just accept me the way that I am. 
Sinners saved by grace, right? And God says, hey, this is not the way I want you to live. And not only this, but attention parents, when you make these decisions, the decisions affect the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. What does the Bible say about that? We read that a couple weeks ago. Sins of their fathers are passed on to their children to the third and fourth generation. We see this habitual pattern. And they're skewed. A lot of our youth today are skewed with what, what does a family look like? You can have three moms in a family that all live together and, and function, and yet God says, not my design. I even gave you biological things to make this happen. And yet we skew it. Adults, sometimes I think we get really frustrated with youth today, and we get frustrated with our own children. Because we think, man, they're messed up. But I think it's a lot of times we're the ones that did the messing up because we are sinning against God. And we're modeling that sinfulness to our children. So sometimes I think, don't be frustrated with your kids. Maybe, just maybe, they're a reflection of you. And because you've been dishonoring your heavenly father and his commands, they dishonor you by not obeying your commands. And it's reflected and it's lived out. Now, I know that some of you may already this morning be like, whoa, 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 wait a minute here. You know, I didn't come to church for this, you know. I mean, I understand I'm a sinner and I understand I messed up and I made some poor choices. But I have good news for you this morning. You don't have to remain in those choices. No, God is in the business of redeeming things that are broken and lost and dirty and sinful and making them whole and new again. And there's a bunch of people sitting in the sanctuary right now, and there's a bunch of people online right now watching. They're nodding their head going, yeah, because that's me. But praise the Lord, I got newness of life because I repented of my sins. And that word repent means I turned away. I wanted different, I ran away from my sinfulness and all the patterns of my life. And I came to Jesus Christ, and he saved me through his grace. And now I can leave my life of sin, and I can walk with him. So many people try to do that just by being good. You know, I'm going to be good. You try to do that on your own. You find out, man, there's no way I can do it. Even some of the most, the, the greatest people in the Bible show their sinfulness and their sin pattern. They can't do it. They need God's grace. And they need his Holy Spirit as a guide. God cares deeply about the family. And he cares deeply about how the family interacts with itself because of how that action is reflected out in the world. Honor your father and mother may begin with honor your heavenly father, parents. The second thing this morning that we can get out of commandment number five is that parents have a responsibility to raise their children in the faith and knowledge of the Lord. Parents have a responsibility. There's so many parents today that kind of have this thing, well, my kid is... You know, I, wanna, I just want a blank slate. I want them to figure it out on their own. No, they don't work that way. What they're more like is a dry sponge, and they soak up whatever's around them, and they become a product of their teaching and their environment. Don't leave it to the public schools. The public schools are different than they were when I was a kid, and they're different than when you were a kid. Don't leave it to some other part of culture or society to actually be teaching your kids the truth about the world, teaching them a worldview. No, take it upon yourself. It is a responsibility. It's a responsibility if you have children to raise them with the fear and the knowledge of the Lord. In this faith 
and this knowledge go hand in hand. They need to have knowledge of the Lord. They need to know what God wants. They need to know how to live. And they also need to have the faith. And it seems like as they grow in knowledge, they grow in faith. And as they grow in faith, they grow in knowledge. And it's great how it works. Proverbs 22.6 gives us the challenge here. It says this, Start children off in the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Some of you are nodding your head right now. You're like, yeah, that's the way I was brought up. My parents brought me up in the Lord. And, and I knew a fear of the Lord from a very young age. And I knew what the commandments said. And, and I've tried to live my life for him. And has anyone done it perfectly? No, because if you've done it perfectly, you'd be Jesus Christ. He was the only one that was perfect. But you can see a pattern in your life of moving toward God and not running in rebellion away from God. And a lot of you can nod your head and say, yeah, man, I'm glad. I'm glad I had some parents that cared enough about me to put me on the path toward righteousness, to start off that child, that when they're old, they're going to still be walking with the Lord. Consider, too, what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Listen to what it says here. These are the commands, the decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. And so this is right on the verge before they're going into the promised land. They're about to cross the Jordan River here, and God gives them these reminders of how they're supposed to live their life and keeping with God's words and his commands. So before you enter the land, are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that your children and their children, he's talking about generations here, so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all of his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy a long life. There it is again. That you can have a quality and a quantity to your life. Verse 3. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you. And that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey. Just as the Lord your God of your ancestors promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be what? Are to be on your heart. They're to be internalized. Not just something that you just hear, that you just read, and you just kind of go on. No, they're supposed to be something that you dwell upon. You internalize them. They're supposed to be on your hearts. Look what it says in verse 7. It says to impress them on your children. You're teaching it to you. are impressing it on, the, on your, your children. Talk about them. You talk about them. When should we talk about them, Lord? We talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. What is he trying to say there? That you talk about them when you sit, walk, lie down, and get up. What's the point? Talk about them all the time. Talk about them when you're walking along the road as you go through life. And talk about them when you sit down and when you rest. And talk about them when you walk along the way. And talk about them when you lie down. It gives you this idea of of you're going to talk about them before bedtime. And then talk about them when you get up, when you rise up first thing in the morning. You're going to talk about the commands of the Lord and talk about the ways of the Lord and talk about the Lord and who he is. And then it goes on after that in verse 8. It says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Now, you know, that's a little weird, okay? You have to understand the culture at this time, though. And they actually did this. Religious people would would tie these little boxes that had the law of the Lord in them. They were called phylacteries. It was a little wooden box. They would actually put this strap and they would actually put it on their forehead. And what it was symbolic of was that we were putting the laws of the Lord and the ways of the Lord above everything else. And it was always going to be forefront of our mind, literally, in this little phylactery. 
And that's what he's talking about. He's like, take these laws of the Lord, take these rules of the road of life, and tie them as symbols on your hands, and anytime you move your hands, it, you just catch it. You're like, oh, man, I see the laws of the Lord. And, and, and that uh, when, when, you, uh, when you bind them on your forehead, they'll always be before you. And then it goes a step further in, in verse 9. It says, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What's he talking about? God's law is to be everywhere and everything is supposed to infiltrate every part of your life to the point that you are walking in the house and it's the laws of the Lord. That you even come to the gate leading to your property and everyone would know. This is a, a, a household of faith because they believe in the Lord God Almighty. Have these laws upon yourself. Impress them upon your children. Keep them in your heart and keep them forefront of your mind and talk about them all the time. Parents, we have the responsibility to teach our children the faith and the knowledge of the Lord and to raise them up that way. And if you think about this, consider how much easier is it for a child to honor a parent that brings them up this way? That brings them up with a respect and an honor for the Lord. Do you think God might bless his design and someone that would actually follow his design for the family? And not only just for the family unit in its makeup, but how it's to function with honor in the home. With children who obey the first time. Do more than what's expected and do it with a good attitude. They become adults someday. That when their boss tells them at work what to do, they do it the first time. They go the extra mile and do more than what's expected, and they do it with a good attitude. And anybody in here that has to manage people just said, amen, amen. Third thing this morning from commandment number five. Children are to honor their parents, and in doing so, they show honor to God and his design. Children are to honor their parents, and in doing so, they show honor to God in his design. This is his desire, that this would be a reflection to the world. Because this pattern, if it's brought up in the home, will be a pattern that is carried on for their life. Now, some of you have been sitting here this whole time and thought, you don't know my parents. Pastor, you don't know the house that I grew up in. But by being honest with you, my parents were, were awful. Some of us had parents that were brutal. Some of us had parents that were just always harsh. Some of us had parents that were abusive, verbally, maybe even physically abusive. Some of us have parents that are controlling and manipulative. And they do things and say things to try to manipulate circumstances to make you feel a certain way or do a certain thing. Some of them were addicts. And let's be honest, some of them were just plain absent. Yeah, I had a dad, and we lived in the same house, but I had zero relationship with him because he was never around. And some of you are sitting here this morning saying, now wait a second, this commandment about honor your father and mother is if they're honorable, right? But the scripture doesn't say that. The scripture, there's no qualifiers. Honor your father and mother unless they were awful, mean, controlling, manipulative. If they were sin and tried to pass that sinfulness on to you, No, the Bible just says to honor them. Sometimes I think we have to honor them in spite of them. Man, talk about rising up and being godly. 
Because I understand for many people, it stirs up a lot of emotions. You go back to your childhood and you say, my childhood was not good. I'm a product. My messed up life today is a product of my parents' messed up marriage. Their messed up parenting skills. I'm a product of that today. Some of the choices I've made in life, you could see the pattern. Because my grandpa did it and my dad did it and now I'm doing it. And it's hard and it's emotional. And I'm not trying to say, hey, just suppress that and press it down and forget about it and move on. But sometimes we have to honor them in spite of them. And, and you know how you do that. I was trying to think of all these different, different examples and I don't want to spend too much time on it. But you know, how you honor them sometimes is how you reflect your character to the world. Because you're still their son and you're still their daughter. And if you operate as a person of integrity, if you operate as a person of character, if you are, are characterized in life by being a person that is loving and, and charitable and giving and, and a, a servant's heart and someone that reflects the character of God, your parents, they may, even into your adult years, I mean, admit it. You know, for, for some of you, it's, it's even to your adult years, your parents still try to manipulate you for a certain outcome. They're still trying to control your life, you know, like, well, you know, and they'll even throw out the whole honor thing. Well, I just don't feel like you're honoring very much because you're not doing exactly what I say. But it doesn't say that. It doesn't say honor your father and mother by, because when you're in your 40s, you should do exactly as they want you to do. It doesn't say that. What does it say? It says to honor them. And sometimes, maybe the way that you honor your parents is you live a life that is godly and of character. And that you honor God first and that through the outcome of your life and through the example of your life, they receive honor because they are your mom and your dad. You see, sometimes our vision just stays here. We've got to raise the vision. We've got to think, what do I need to do to keep God's commands, to honor God by honoring my parents? I understand some of this represents a lot of pain for you. But I want to remind you, too, that nothing is too far from redemption because God's in that business today. And you might be surprised by honoring your parents how that might repair and restore some things that have happened in the past. Might be some hard conversations that have to be had, but God can work through that. Children, honor your parents, and in doing so, you're showing honor to God and his design for the home. The fourth one, and the last one this morning, there are always great benefits to honoring the Lord by keeping his commands. I don't want to lose sight of that in this whole series, in all of these commandments, that there is always, there are always great benefits to honoring the Lord and keeping his commands. There is a quality of life and a quantity of life. Don't miss it. What did it say there in Ephesians chapter 6? As you got into that second and third verse there, it says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, and then it says, so that, what's the cause and effect of that? It says, that it may go well with you, speaking to the quality of your life, that it may go well with you, that you will enjoy life more in this world, and you will enjoy eternal life for sure in heaven above, that, that you will, there'll be a quality to your life, that you may... In, that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth, that there's a quality and a quantity to life. I wonder if we studied this out and looked at a little bit of, of longevity of life. There's some correlation here. He promises it to the Israelites for the land, and then Paul here expands it and just says your life in this world, your life left on the earth, that 
it'll go well with you, and that you'll live a long life on the earth because you've honored God. You know, if you do come from a two-parent intact home that is fairly functional, because we all have our dysfunctions, right? It's just, but let's just say a fairly functional two-parent home. Guess what? The statistical data bears out that the kids that come from those families do better in life in every area of life. Now, I know sometimes, I've seen some awesome parents have kids that go, Psh! doesn't mean you have this perfect outcome every time. But if we would submit our wills and our mindsets and our worldviews and all of those things to the Lord God, and if we would keep his commands and keep what he's wanting, See, so many things, so many times I think with these commandments, we think it's because God is wanting something from us. I don't believe that at all. After studying this, I think it's because God wants something for us. He wants a good life. If you obey these commands, you will have a much better life than if you disobey these commands. Ask somebody that's disobeyed them. Ask them, how's that working for you? It's not good. If we would just obey God's commands. And yet, I will present to you this morning, the remedy for your shortfall is Jesus Christ. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. Remember, he took on the sins of the world. All the sins that had been committed before and all the sins that would be committed into the future. He took all those upon himself. And he was allowed himself to be crucified on a cross to be an atonement, to be a, sacrifice, a sacrificial atonement for our sins. But he didn't stay dead. He resurrected from the grave. And the New Testament and the Apostle Paul speaks a lot to that same power that resurrects Jesus from the dead, that resurrection power, lives in us that we can have the power to overcome. Overcome sinfulness, overcome the sinful consequences that we've made that's been following us our whole life. And we can change and we can walk a new way in life. And it's only through Jesus Christ. It's not through try, try harder. Some of you can walk out here today and I'm afraid for you because you'll be like, I'm going to try harder, be a better daddy. No, get to know Jesus and you'll be a better daddy. Read the scripture and commune and spend time with the Lord and you'll be a better parent. I just don't think it's possible on your own. I think you're setting yourself up for disaster if you don't first submit to Jesus Christ. I think Jesus said something about that one time. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you as well. Yeah, there's a pattern. You don't get clean and then come to Jesus Christ. You don't get right and then come to Jesus Christ. You come to Jesus Christ, and then you get clean. You come to Jesus Christ, and then you get right. Sometimes I think in the church world, we, we get that out of order. So this morning as we come, and we're, we're going to take communion in just a minute and respond this way. I want us to circle back now to honoring your father and mother. We were doing the devotions backstage this morning and taking communion together with the worship team. Uh, Scott, who's playing bass today, one of our elders, he brought up a story that I thought was really good. He said, you know, Jesus modeled honoring your father and mother so many different ways and times in his life. But one of them that's really memorable is as his first miracle. You know what his first miracle was? I mean, you think it'd be like, what? Blind man sees, lame man walks, someone raises from the dead. No, he made wine. You remember the situation that Mary, his mother, had come to him? They were at a, 
a wedding celebration, and it was tradition in that culture that, that you know, you, these, these weddings sometimes went on for days. We're celebrating, you know, and it was really, really bad. It was a really bad faux pas, culturally just like, oh, no, if you ran out of wine. And this family had run out of wine, and Mary's like, I know you got all the power. You're the son of God. I have faith in you. Jesus, would you make some wine here? And Jesus is like, Mom, it's not my time yet. <sighs> okay. Bring me some jars, fill them with water. You got wine. And Mary's like, thank you, Jesus. But seriously, he honored honored his mother in that circumstance. But there was another time when Jesus honored his mother. Do you remember it? He was beaten with 40 lashes within an inch of his life. They put a wooden beam on that open flesh on his back. Had him walk a long, hilly path to Golgotha, the place of the school of Calvary. They crucify him on the cross, and then we read in John's gospel, I think it's chapter 18 or 19, we read in John's gospel, as he's hanging on the cross, he looks down and he sees his mother Mary, distraught. And he looks at his, uh, the, the uh, disciple there named John. And he said, John, this is your mother. Mom, this is your son. And he honors his mother even in that circumstances. He's dying. And yet he still continues to honor his parents. And it was on that cross and that sacrifice that our redemption began. And I know that for some of you this morning, this, this is going to be a hard one, a hard command. But I want you to examine, what does God require of me in this? What does God require of me? What does he want from me? And how might I bring him honor and honor to my family if I honor my dad and my mom? Let's pray this morning and then let's take communion together. Lord God, I thank you for this opportunity we have to reflect upon your word. And God, it challenges us so much. And God, we just corporately apologize for what we have done to your design for the family. Lord, what we've done with sinful decisions that we've made. And God, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that maybe they're just feeling, they're feeling whooped right now. They're just feeling guilty. And uh, God, you want to save them. You, you want to... Uh, be there for them. You want to be their Savior and their Lord. You want them to repent of their sins and to walk in this newness of life. And I pray, God, that if they need to just call today the day of salvation, Lord, that they would just come. In a few minutes when we sing that song, God, they would have the courage to walk over to the decision room and talk to one of our elders or one of our staff about their relationship with you. Because, God, that's where it begins. There may be, a, there may be so many here this morning, Lord, that we're sitting in this room, we're feeling so messed up. I mean, we have messed up our lives and our marriages so much with our sinful choices. And yet, God, you take us in and say, you know what? Let me heal that. Let me, let me piece that brokenness back together. Let me redeem your life. And God, we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. And as we take these emblems now, Lord, as we take the bread that represents your body and the cup that represents your blood, we remember that those were poured out for us. They were offered up freely for us. 
And that God, as you resurrected on the third day, so that resurrection power can also be ours. You even give us the promise of your Holy Spirit after we accept you. We have your Holy Spirit in us as a guide, our counselor, our helper, our comforter. And it's not only that that you're with us, God, but you're actually in us through the Holy Spirit. God, thank you for that. Thank you for being a God that knew this isn't going to work without my intervention. And God, you loved us so much that you sent your son. We thank you for that. I just pray that we could honor you, Lord, in these next few moments as we think about how we may also honor our parents. God, we just dedicate these next few minutes to you and ask you to continue to speak to us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So if you would right now, take that bread and that cup, remember the sacrifice of Jesus, and take a few moments to commune with him this morning.